Tucky Skies. I'm Biggs. And I'm Brandon. How you doing, Brandon? I'm living the dream. Yeah, me too. Just out here living it. <laughs> <laughs> Fancy living. All right, fuck it. Let's just launch into it. So, uh, <laughs> so I got uh, um, a couple of reviews to do today because there is a lot of shows dropping. I mean, it's the fall season. So. Yeah, it's been... Uh busy you can tell that tvs are like hey we want the nerd audience now because everybody's a nerd practically the only people who aren't nerds at this point are just the ones who have it tuned in like permanently to fox news you know what i mean (laughs) the ones who like go to somebody else's house and panic when they don't have fox news (laughs) well how am i gonna eat supper without fox news on yeah the same people that go to the restaurant if it has a TV, it's got to be on Fox News. Yeah, same people who use the term supper. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, my first review is this is a show that dropped Friday. And of course, because it's Netflix, they dropped every episode. But there's a new show called uh, Big Mouth. Have you heard of this yet? No. Okay, so this show is really funny. It's an animated show, and it's dirty as hell. Like, it earns its mature rating. <laughs> And it's uh it's Nick Kroll, John Mulaney, uh Jason Manzukis, who plays Rafi on the league, and just like a host of other comedians do the show. And so they're playing a bunch of thirteen year old kids who are going through puberty. And so <laughs> it's sort of like it's sort of their adventures um basically becoming men and women, because it, it also covers women with puberty as well. Which uh, I guess I should say, like, no Jenny Slade's in the show. So, but uh, Diedrich Bader plays this uh, puberty monster, <laughs> who, like John Mulaney's awesome. character sees all the time. Awesome. Yeah, he's basically got a dick for a nose, and he's always like trying to, <laughs> trying to like convince him to whack off constantly. <laughs> <laughs> it's really funny. I don't know. I I really dug it. Um. I don't know what all to say about it, except for it's a lot of like entirely inappropriate jokes. And it also has Jordan Peele doing the voice of Duke Ellington. Like he does, there's a ghost of Duke Ellington in the attic who talks to Nick Kroll (laughs) and just has like all these crazy stories about like, I I don't know, like him banging Ava Gardner and stuff like that. (laughs) He's like, and that's back when banging a white woman was really some business. (laughs) (laughs) It's really good. But it's pretty funny. Um, Another show that I I checked out actually just uh, about an hour ago was uh, The Gifted. So that is the X-Men show we were talking yeah. about last year. And uh, I did not somehow did not see a single commercial for it. I saw a few ads for it on Facebook and I don't watch network TV, so I didn't get a chance to watch it. 
It was all right. I got to say, when it first started out, I was like, okay, I've seen this before. But there's something to the family on the run kind of stories that makes it fun. I It's basically this cop who's, and I don't know the actor's name, but he played Bill in True Blood. Oh, uh, Steve Moyer? Sure. <laughs> that sounds right. I remember seeing his name in the credits. Uh, not these credits. I didn't pay attention to them, but uh, True Blood. It, I, I'm pretty sure it's him. And uh, so he plays a cop, and he occasionally brings in mutants and the Sentinels. Uh, so it's like it's not the Sentinels, like the big robots coming after the mutants, but it's it's a Sentinel task force that takes down mutants as soon as they appear, and they make a reference to the fact that. They don't even know if the X-Men or the Brotherhood are around. And if I'm not mistaken, I think the Brotherhood is in Legion. I think that's the group of mutants who are um, kind of banded together. So it's like kind of connected to X-Men and Legion. I don't think it's totally connected because I I just don't. But (laughs) (laughs) I know Brian Singer directed the pilot is what I heard way back when. So I'm, I'm pretty sure that happened. But... It was pretty entertaining. Um, Stephen Moyer is his cop, and he's like he brings in a mutant, and then coincidentally, he has two kids that are mutants, and he doesn't know it. And his son, whose powers just suddenly manifest, he basically pulls a carry. Like <laughs> there's some kids picking on him in the shower, and uh, he just fucking basically like almost destroys the entire school during a dance, and so. The Sentinels suddenly sh- show up on their doorstep, and so they wind up going on the run. It turns out his sister's also a mutant, but she's been hiding it because she knows better, and she's learned to control her powers. And so she basically can do almost invisible woman shit. Like It seems like create force fields to move things or to protect them. And then he clearly has like some sort of telekin- telekinetic powers where he can like destroy shit. And then there's another mutant in there. She can teleport, but she can only teleport where she can't see. So it's basically Nightcrawler. <laughs> I don't know why they didn't <laughs> just make it Nightcrawler, but <laughs> it's it's a lady who has Nightcrawler powers. And uh, yeah, there, there's a couple other things I can't really remember with the mutants, but um, the father figures out where these mutants that are on the run that help out other mutants are. And he was kind of looking for him before. So he figures it out and joins up with them right when the Sentinels catch him. And that's basically the first episode, but it was pretty well done. Like I got to say, Fox can be hit and miss with their X-Men so far. I would say the pilot's a hit, but it definitely can go in either direction. It just really depends on what they do with the story. You know, if you make your typical X-Men story, then it's not going to be good. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, so far, I liked it. Do the Dark Phoenix. Yeah. (laughs) No, don't. Please don't do that. (laughs) They're already doing that movie, so we're going to get it whether we like it or not. (laughs) Uh, But I would check it out. Like, it was was all right. So Nice. Yeah. That's about the best I can offer for that. Uh. Have you caught any new shows? I've been catching up on shit lately. Yeah. We just uh, started diving back into uh, Orange is the New Black. Oh, how far in are you? Uh, A couple episodes in on season four. 
So you're like a season and season plus. and a half back. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and it's weird because like because they because when we first started season four, they did a like a re- recap of what's happened, and I was like, shit, I don't remember half of these storylines. Yeah. It seems inti- intimidating until you realize it's written like a TV show, and they're gonna rehash things for you. Yeah, you know what I mean. <laughs> And I don't know. I is the it, magic gone? No it it's still it's still good, but it seems like the this season. And of course, we're only a couple episodes in. They kind of got away from my what I thought was the most interesting part, where they did like the backstories of different characters. Yeah, yeah, and really like develop where how the how they got to where they are. Yeah, I think it's because they have such developed characters at this point. I think they're more interested in playing with them. But you get a you get one here and there. Yeah. But yeah, it's not like every episode like it used to be. And yeah. so that that's kind of my main takeaway is it's not quite quite there. It's interesting because where the fourth season leaves off. It takes place the very next second for the fifth season, and then I think the fifth season is over two days. Crazy, yeah. Like the the first the first season, I felt like took place over like half a year or something. It seemed like yeah, it was, it was like, a pretty good chunk of time. Yeah, like four or five months, something like that. And uh, it, they just keep like shrinking it to like be <laughs> closer amounts of time. But by the time we get to like the eighth season, it'll be like real time. Yeah. <laughs> you're just like wait a second you're waving and seeing yourself waving on the tv when does this happen the movie <laughs> right now what you're seeing is happening right now on the screen <laughs> yeah that kind of move <laughs> yeah um i i caught up on star trek discovery i say caught up because i was like two days behind but <laughs> dude that show just keeps giving I really like it. So they set up where what the show is going to be, I believe, in the third episode. Because, um, and I don't want to give too much away because I'm guessing you haven't seen that second episode yet. No, not yet. Yeah, but essentially, it's they're not showing the ship that the show is taking place on. <laughs> <laughs> like you don't actually see the Star Trek Discovery until or the uh, the Discovery until the third episode. So. Unless you count a next on clip that they had, <laughs> but uh, it's it's pretty interesting the way that they go. It's definitely centered around the main character. Um, well, that's good for a show. Yeah. Well, I mean, but that's not. <laughs> I, I was just. Yeah. That's not typically what Star Trek does, though. Typically, Star Trek has a lot of actors, and uh, you know. You have like the captain will generally be in every episode and and, like they'll all make at least cameos or whatever on every episode. But usually it centers on like, you know, different members of the cast, depending on the episode. Like, let's do an engineering episode with Jordy. (laughs) (laughs) Now let's do one with Picard. Now let's do one with Riker and the tension he has with Deanna Troy. Right. Like that's kind of how they did. Yeah. Next generation. Oh, now Data wants to be a human. You know, 
they haven't done that so far in the show. It's been very centered on the main character, but I'm wondering if because they've now established the show, if they're going to start doing that. I feel like they sh- they are going almost have to at some point. I don't know. But I think they might be just like establishing who's who's there and then play with them later. Yeah. Because so far the show is almost directly always the main character. I mean, the first two episodes definitely had a lot on the Klingon side. There was no no Klingons in the third episode. So um, it was very much detailed around the main character. But maybe they'll branch out. But it's tough to say because there's only, I, I believe there's only 13 episodes this season. So And they're doing like a mid-season break thing and stuff too because you want to like string out how much you have people streaming, right? <laughs> <laughs> they fucking know there's going to be a lot of people tuning out the second <laughs> the season's over. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so that was kind of interesting. But um, Curb Your Enthusiasm came back. I've I'm, heard. I'm so, I'm so delighted. I'm so delighted. The show has not changed even a little. Which is perfect for this show. Like, I don't want it to change because it's great. Larry David immediately gets in a fight with the lesbian for not holding the door for her because he's afraid that he's going to offend her if he holds the door for her. And, uh, and then later, like, her partner, he hold, like doesn't hold, or no, he holds the door for her. And then she gets mad and says, like, oh, so, like, I don't need a man to hold the door for me. It like goes off on him. So <laughs> damned if you do, damned if you don't. And that's just a tiny subplot in a show that has Larry David. I believe this is the crux of the season. Uh, he writes this, this musical called Fatwa. And it's, <laughs> it's supposed to be a musical comedy about Salman Rushdie on the run from the Ayatollah Khamenei. And, uh, he winds up offending the Ayatollah Khamenei on Kimmel's show. Like they have Jimmy Kimmel in the episode too. <laughs> and uh and because he offends him, he now has a fatwa on him. And so nobody'll touch <laughs> the musical. He spent five years working on this musical. <laughs> it's great. <laughs> it's a really fun episode. JB Smooth's character. Like Leon, he he moved in a couple seasons ago. During, I think, Hurricane Katrina or like right after Katrina, like he just this family moves in the blacks like they move in with Larry David and uh, halfway through the season, Leon just drops in and starts hanging out at the house, which Larry Mm. David's not okay with at first, but likes him. And then every season is like great watching their interplay, but you're sort of like. What, like, why is he, why? Like, why do they still hang out, kind of? And then, you like, this season, it makes so much sense because, like, he's hearing this loud music and he just walks out to his guest house and Leon's just living there. And you realize, like, oh, he's not married anymore. So he, like, he needs companionship. You know what I mean? <laughs> him and Leon, like, never fight. So it's, like, it's a perfect match for him. Leon always gives him the best, worst advice, too. <laughs> like in the, the last season they it, they had this episode where they're in new york and uh larry defended some lady and wants to get back on his good side and so he wants leon to pretend like he's stealing her purse and then he's gonna like stop the purse from happening he's like okay so i got it so i'm gonna go in snatch the purse and then you're gonna walk up 
and you're going to get the purse back for me, and then I'm going to fuck you up and then run off. He's like, whoa, 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 what do you mean fuck you up? He's like, yeah, I got to fuck you up, Larry. Like, it's not going to be believable <laughs> if I don't fuck you up. <laughs> I got to fuck you up real good. He's like, no, you don't have to fuck me up real good. He's like, yeah, the more you get fucked up, the more believable it is, Larry. <laughs> <laughs> so great. <laughs> But uh, yeah, I really recommend this episode. Like, shit is just firing on all cylinders again. Like, Larry David is amazing, and they put everybody in the first episode that I'd want to see. They have Cheryl Hines show up for a little bit, even though it's his ex-wife. Like, still, she's great. So I love seeing her. You know, like she's in Son of Zorn. Yeah. Uh, they have uh Ted Danson in the episode, which just immediately made me happy because <laughs> Ted Danson's the shit. And, uh, yeah, Ted dance has been killing it lately. Dude, he has really been killing it. I guess curb is sort of what I was listening to an interview with him and he said, curb your enthusiasm is what kind of gave him life in his career now because he did a couple of things and stuff wasn't working. And he started finding that other people were funnier than him when he was doing things and he just didn't believe in the material. So he decided he's going to only like hook up with people that he finds creatively really interesting and that sort of gives him new life to like play off of other people but it's fucking working dude guy like he's good in every comedy he does like he just is and he's for sure cheers and curb are gonna go down as all-time greats. so like he's been in at least two all-time greats. i think the good place has the potential to get there have you been watching the new season at all no oh man it's uh Boy, I don't want to give anything away, but I have when you when you catch up, when you start watching the new episodes, you let me know because I have a theory about what's gonna happen, like what what the thing is in this season. I have a theory on it that I really want to throw out, but I don't want to spoil it for you because by saying it, it will reveal things that happened already in the episode. Gotcha. So I don't want to fuck anything up for you. So you let me know when you catch up and we'll have that conversation. <laughs> Because I think I'm right on this. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. Uh, the Good Place. I, so, I had like an hour-long episode and a 20-minute. So, it's probably technically three episodes. But, you know, I, it was just two showings. And uh, the first one is a little slow because they're kind of getting back into it and reestablishing it. And then the second part is just hilarious. And then the next episode is hilarious. So, um, because... It, it, like, you kind of have to wonder, what do they do after they figure out they're in... Well, you know, I don't want to spoil that for anybody who hasn't checked out the show yet, but... Yeah. We'll I, have to throw it's kind of interesting where they... Uh, how they ended the first season of that. Yeah. There are twists and turns for days on that show. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so this is some big news. I got a little bit of reading here to do. So this is a press release from NBC... They're gonna put out a David S. Pumpkins Halloween <laughs> special. Yeah. So it says the David S. Pumpkins Halloween special will feature the voice of Hanks, who will appear on camera at the beginning of the half hour, as well as the two time Emmy award winning Game of Thrones star Peter Dinklage. Sketch creators Dave Moynihan and Streeter Seidel will also have voiceover roles as well. So I think it's like a cartoon yes. for half of it. Set in a small suburban town on All Hallows' Eve, the special centers on David Pumpkins and his skeleton sidekicks who will show a young boy and his sister the true meaning of Halloween 
answering none of their questions along the way. Is <laughs> my the first the first article I read about this that it was on the Collider, and the guy was just like, I he was like, I was just perplexed at why people love this sketch, <laughs> and I was like. I don't know, like, I can't put my finger on why it makes me laugh, if I'm being honest, but I rewatched a sketch because they pinned it to that article, and it fucking, I just, but like, just <laughs> like the first time, dude, I busted up through the whole sketch. I could still watch, I could watch, I've watched it 50, 60 times. It's so funny, dude, and it's so fucking <laughs> weird, too, is part of it, like, the, the song, that goo goo goo. <laughs> like it's the weirdest song and then when he's doing like the slap on the ass of each <laughs> skeleton it just fucking oh! kills yeah. and then like the, per- the perplexed looks from the elevator and they're just like am I supposed to know him is he like a local celebrity or something Like, they- and the skeletons are part of it <laughs> yeah. yeah and hearing uh um Oh, what's his face? Uh, the guy who's running the elevator in that sketch is just like, hey, there's 99 floors. They're not all great. Deal with it. Because <laughs> like, he's like, is David S. Pumpkins? Like, wait, you redid him? Is he on more floors? <laughs> <laughs> Why did you go all in on David Pumpkin? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then when they finally see the skeletons, they're like, what? You're just doing the skeletons? Why? And they sort of do their thing. And then all of a sudden, David S. Pumpkins is behind it, <laughs> behind them, scared of like, it was just such a great end to that. It's just such a fucking weird sketch. And Tom Hanks, you could tell, is just trying not to laugh during the sketch, too, and just holding it together. Like, oh, such a great sketch, man. Who knew that like Tom Hanks would come back to the show after like 15 years of not doing the show and just fucking like put out an all-timer sketch. Like every time they do a Halloween episode, that's you know how the Halloween and uh Christmas they'll always do, you know, sketches from the past and sort of bleed them together and then have like a host or whatever like one of the cast members host it. Yeah. You know that one's gonna show up for a long, long time on whenever they do a Halloween one. It just is, dude. Yeah, when Tom Hanks was on last year, that he had two sketches that were really great. Remind me what the other one was. It was the uh, Black Jeopardy. Oh, that's right. <laughs> and he's a redneck. Yeah, with the Make America Great hat on. Yeah, and like every answer he has is correct, <laughs> and they're just like perplexed that he's getting them all right. <laughs> Yeah, they, you're right. That was a really funny sketch. How many different versions of Jeopardy have they done on Saturday Night Live? Like, not even just talking about the Will Ferrell doing Alex Trebek Jeopardies, but like, they had so many sketch shows that were just Jeopardy, but they would call it something else. <laughs> Do you know what I'm talking about? Like, they have just redone that over and over again. And it's a fucking well that works. Like, go back to the well all the time. Yeah, and they. And they've pretty much, like, for the last several years, they've had at least one sketch that's game show based. Like, old school password or... Yeah. (laughs) Have you seen it this year yet? They had, like, one episode. Yeah, they had... Saturday, they did their first episode. Was it Ryan Gosling? Correct. How was it? I don't know. 
Okay. I was. Uh, <laughs> Usually you're on it. So I was checking. Vegas bowling at the time. Yeah, fair enough. <laughs> well, moving on. Um, so director Jonathan Levine, who did Warm Bodies and Doctor Strange, and writer Kenya Barris, who was a showrunner for Blackish, uh, have been hired by Paramount to make Coming to America 2. So they've been developing Coming to America 2 for a while, but it's looking like this is going to be a thing. What do you think? Can this still be a funny movie, or is it fucked out? I feel like there's potential there, but I don't know. I feel like if you have to have Eddie Murphy in it, it's just not going to work. Like He hasn't been funny for a long time, and that's... Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe with the right writers, he could be funny again, but I just worry about it. Like, Coming to America was a classic, and it was the first time we saw Eddie Murphy play tons of roles, but he just abused it after Coming to America. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I don't know. Like, (laughs) yeah, and I mean, Tyler Perry's coming in since then and made an entire career out of that. Yeah, Tyler Perry is sort of like, I'm just going to do Eddie Murphy, but I'm going to more market it for middle-aged women (laughs) (laughs) with our super ham-handed messages in every movie, every Medea movie. But um, Have you ever watched a Medea movie? Just parts. I've never sat down and watched a whole one. I just know. Yeah, I'm not going to like it. So Yeah, I have... Any like the the extent of what I've seen of a Medea movie would be what happens in the trailer. It seems to me that at some point Medea is going to like reach into a handbag and pull out a gun and cock the gun and threaten somebody in a wacky situation. <laughs> it seems like that happens every movie, from what I've heard, and that everybody learns a lesson from Medea. Yeah. <laughs> so count me out on Medea. Yeah, I, there's no interest to in going into that well. The, I guess the thing I have with Coming America 2 is um, Ghostbusters I was excited for because it's the concept of Ghostbusters can work and you can do a lot of things with it. Like they, they manage a car- how many cartoon series that just went on and on and on forever because it's like an idea that just lends itself to more stories. But coming to America too, I'm like, what's this even going to be about? Yeah. Because the first one is like a prince who's sick of being a prince. And so he decides to pretend to be poor to find his wife. And then it's just like a lot of shit that doesn't make sense. That was just funny. Cause it was Eddie Murphy and his, and his heyday, you know? So it was a lot of poking fun at McDonald's with the McDowell's and, uh, the soul glow, like making fun of all the Jerry curl stuff, and like, <laughs> like you can't have the old Jewish guy in the movie anymore, right? <laughs> He's got to be dead. Like everybody in the barber shop has got to be dead by now. God, I would think so. I mean, they're going to be pushing a hundred at this point. But if they're making a sequel, he's going to do all those characters, right? Like that's going to happen. It would kind of have to. They were part, probably some of the best part of the movie. Oh, they were my favorite part. <laughs> Especially when they're in church. 
<laughs> and like they're Damn, past he the good. He good. <laughs> yeah. And they're past the collection back basket and he's like he throws like a chicken bone in there. Get your chicken bone out of there. I thought it was the trash. <laughs> <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, sexual chocolate. You might have seen him on Who's Your Mama? <laughs> that whole, the, all of that stuff is gold. Where he's just like, his mama named him Cassius, so I'm going to call him Cassius. <laughs> We were just talking about Muhammad Ali would, would be anybody. And then the Jewish guy is like, uh, Rocky Marciano beat his ass. <laughs> fuck you. Fuck you. And fuck you. Next. <laughs> <laughs> just let your soul glow. Just let it shine. It's such a great movie, dude. Ah, it's pretty great. And that's what I worry about is... We've seen this time and time again with comedy sequels. What are you going to do for the sequel? Because even if the premise is solid, are you going to call back to the original movie? Because that's a fucking mistake. It doesn't work every time. Yeah, and it's... I don't know. I mean, there's one thing if it, like, you have... See, now, if, if I were to do it, the way I would go about it is, I mean... Have some uh, Nigerian guy, like, trying, like, college kid trying to get into America. So you would do the thing where it's not really a sequel, it's just retelling the original? <sighs> See, and I, I don't know if that works. But yeah, that never works. <laughs> I, I mean, there, I just don't know how to approach this movie. Yeah. Good thing we're not writing a screenplay. <laughs> I mean, I could probably get serious, but. Paramount better pay me millions of dollars. I, do screenwriters get millions of dollars? I don't think they do. They have to go into acting and directing to get that paycheck, I feel like. If you're going to get me to write it's Coming to America 2, you're going to have to start showing up with suitcases full of money. <laughs> so you think they're banging down the door? The industry just is clamoring to find out what the host of Montone's guys <laughs> want to know. Hey, I also heard he can work on a new time-traveling script. Like that other guy. <laughs> These are some script doctors that we need. One has a handle, sort of, on Coming in America too. The other totally realizes how Back to the Future could be fixed. <laughs> Call us. We're here. We're not doing anything. We're just, we're waiting to be called. Why haven't you called? I don't understand. Hey, time is of the essence here. Yeah, dude. I'm about to open another beer. Here, hold my beer. I need to open another beer. This is some serious shit. Um. <laughs> So guess what I watched? What did you watch? All the Rick and Mortys. Nice. Yeah, so I'm all caught up. Did you watch the last episode? I just watched it this evening. Let's fucking talk about it. I watched it this evening, too. I watched three this evening. It turned out I was <laughs> three behind, and it was fun. Yeah. So uh, this is one of my favorite episodes ever. That last episode, it, it just... It made me laugh all the way through the whole idea of like Rick just pissing off the president because <laughs> they just decide to not help out the president. 
And then the whole thing, the, they have this giant battle in the White House, which is just fucking insane, where he's just like, I th- somehow he kills somebody. and I don't think they even explain how he kills the Secret Service guard in front of him, but he uses him as an example. And they're like, well, why don't you knock him out? He's like, everybody wants to be knocked out. Nobody wants to be killed as an example. <laughs> and then he immediately, like, all these Secret Service people draw guns on him. And so he just, like, has this targeting system over all of them and just massively kills them. <laughs> and then it's just, like, the lengths that it goes to, like, when Obama hits some. It's basically Obama, right? Yeah, but voiced voice- by Keith Davis. Yes. Yeah, which is a great touch. But it's like when they call down the satellite to do the laser into the White House and just cut these holes, and then they're like down in the next floor. It's just like all that shit that's happening is hilarious. I really enjoyed that episode. It was pretty great. And Beth thinking she's a clone. Because I was like, that's really smart. Like, you would totally think you're a clone because Ricks isn't going to answer the way you should answer to convince somebody you're not a clone. <laughs> And River sort of was half listening to it because she was doing something on the computer and she turned around and she was like, oh my God, this is terrible. Like she's back with uh, um, Jerry. Jerry. Like that's, I didn't want that to happen. That's awful. And I'm like, well, if you remember this whole season started out because like basically Rick had an evil plot to break up Beth and Jerry and it succeeded. (laughs) (laughs) So Rick kind of had it coming in this one. I also love that the answer to like dealing with the president is just having him go through a portal with the fly fishing hat saying, I'm fly fishing Rick. I'm a different <laughs> Rick. <laughs> it's not a different Rick at all. Yeah. That was so good. <laughs> yeah, Rick and Morty has been killing it. I guess Dan Harmon said they're going to try for 14 next season. I uh, know he wanted to do more. It's just he didn't. So what he said was he acknowledged that he tried to do more last season, but they were caught in making episodes perfect. But he said that first off with community, it fell apart during season three. And so he proved he could get through that and he wants season four to be even better. So he can prove that he can, you know, run a show for the long term. And he said that they had a lot of episodes where they had this idea and then it went off on a tangent that wound up becoming the episode. And so the idea, the episodes never got used and that happened with like three or four, some of which are like fully formed and already scripts. So he thinks that they can get to 14 this year. And he said what they're going to do is like work their ass off and make sure they have 10. And then if they can still go, they're going to get four more. But he thinks they have 14 shows in them this year. So I think he might be able to do it. I think like when you do it for a while, you get your handle on it. You know what I mean? Like usually shows, not all the time, but usually they hit their, like if you have like a seven or eight season run, usually you hit your peak in like four or five, like sometimes all the way to the end. But um, you start to like figure out, character motivations more and see different possibilities and i imagine with rick and morty they have opened so they they have so many ideas hidden in every episode that all you have to do is take one of those little ideas and just expand on it you know what i mean yeah so like there's a lot of places to go with rick and morty like i was fine with them taking a year and a half because 
This was the best season. Oh, definitely. Like every episode was stellar this season. So, yeah, I do what you got to do, Dan Harmon. Take two years if you need. I, yeah, I don't think that's in the plan, but so um, I was reading something, and I can't. I was only like partly reading it because I hadn't watched the episode when I read it. Um, and they had the post credit scene with uh, Mr. Poopy Butthole and his wife yeah. and kid. Yeah. And they were talking that that was a hint that they're looking to do a Christmas episode. Yeah. So maybe. <laughs> like a standalone Christmas special. Not a bad idea. I'm for it. I'm all about that. Yeah, I'm not going to gather my family in front of the TV to watch it, but I'll definitely watch it. <laughs> yeah, this is where you and I differ. <laughs> <laughs> Your kids are older. <laughs> I would watch it with, well, I've watched it with my wife. I've watched it with River. I can't watch that with my eight-year-old, dude. Yeah. I can't. Like, I'm just <laughs> not, that's not, there are shows that I start watching with them and then questioning, like, whether I should be watching with them. Like, Rick and Morty, I know without a doubt that like, she should not be watching until she's a little older. But if she was even in, like, fifth grade, I'd be like, meh, maybe it'll make her smarter. See, that's where I, I think my kids started watching it. Oh, see? See, my kids we actually watched it before I did. Yeah, so did mine. <laughs> and I was not happy about it because I knew just enough about the show to know they should not be watching Rick and Morty. <laughs> and my wife like had no idea. She was like, it's just a cartoon. Who cares? I'm like, really? And so like I turned it on and we watched like two minutes and she was like, oh my God. I was like, yeah, way to go. <laughs> Good parenting, mom. <laughs> but I mean, I make questionable decisions too. Uh, a couple weeks ago, I turned on Highlander with the kids and I was thinking like yeah Highlander it's badass and I think by the second decapitation I was like maybe I shouldn't be watching this with my eight seven year old like <laughs> maybe that's a bad idea and then there's like this really long sex scene because it's the director's cut Not yeah I turned off Highlander <laughs> watch the rest of it when she went to bed <laughs> But definitely watch the rest of it. But I still stand by. Totally let your kids watch Army of Darkness. It's fine. It's yeah. fine, dude. It's it's like a it's an extra violent cartoon is all that it is. It's fine. It's claymation violence. Don't let your kids watch Evil Dead 2 and especially don't let them watch Evil Dead 1, though. See, my... I let both my kids watch Army of Darkness pretty young. Yeah, yeah. Um... And then, like... High school is, like, maybe even eighth grade. A I, I, couple I of years River. ago, we watched Evil Dead 2. Yeah. Not watched Evil Dead. <laughs> no, I. so that, that's the thing, too. Um, I watched Army of Darkness with River. Well, she did the, the review when she was doing the Pink Cheetah reviews thing, when she was doing the little shorts for Montucky Skies. Where I'd have her like watch movies that I enjoyed when I was young and make her review it in two minutes. She would run out of breath reviewing it because she'd do it so fast. And she really didn't like Army of Darkness at the time. But I think it was also because I forced her to watch it. You know? <laughs> but then uh, then we knew we were going to the Evil Dead musical in Vegas. And so I'm like, well, let's check out Evil Dead 2. And so we watched that. And then she got into it. And uh, so I probably just thrust like Army of Darkness a little 
too soon or like i don't know that maybe making her watch it was a, a little bad too idea. heavy yeah but the original evil dead there's no way i would watch that with her like there's just <sighs> no, and i told her like go ahead and watch it it's a great movie i just won't be watching it with you because and i didn't tell her why but i mean it's tree it's rape. really awkward it's tree rape dude <laughs> You take out the tree rape scene, I would probably watch it with her. Yeah, I kind of got that a couple weeks ago when I was watching uh, it in the theater with my daughter. I was like, oh, there's a couple of scenes that got a little uh, uncomfortable. Yeah, at least your daughter's in high school. Yeah. Dude, there was like there was like fifth and sixth graders next to me. No parents. Just like watching the movie. Maybe their parents were in the theater and not sitting next to them, but I couldn't believe it, dude. And then I remembered, like, I watched the original It when I was in, like, fourth grade, maybe. <laughs> Whenever it came out originally. <laughs> was it 87? I feel like it's after that. Cause wouldn't it be right around 90? Because aren't they doing the exact 27 years? So like yeah. 89 or 90? Well, if it was 90, I mean, I would have been in like sixth grade. So that was nothing. I was actually laughing with my mom the other day because I was like, how come you let me watch all that Stephen King stuff? She's like, I don't know what I was thinking. I was like, oh, it's fine. I didn't get nightmares or anything. She's like, maybe that's why I let you do it. <laughs> <laughs> But I did. I watched, man, I watched a lot of horror movies when I was a kid. Yeah, they just don't, <sighs> I don't know. Horror movies don't scare me that much, but I enjoy them. Yeah. I used to enjoy them. Yeah. I mean, I still, I, I mean, I still enjoy a lot of the movies that I watched, but it's just like new horror. I don't. There's some real. Does, I don't, it, it doesn't, I don't enjoy it. There's some really good new horror movies, but it's like most of them are not. You know what I mean? Like you have to know which one to grab off of the heap. So actually, this is something we're going to do when we do our Halloween special, which we'll talk about again. The creepy it's, Halloween special. The creepy. <laughs> yeah. Um, any questions? <laughs> <laughs> Call back. That we're going to do a Halloween special. I know exactly when it's going to air right now. And by the way, this Halloween special will be on Facebook Live only. Maybe I'll drop it on YouTube the next day. If it turns out well, I'll drop it on YouTube the next day. But um, we're going to do a podcast that will come out on the morning of Halloween. So like either like late at night on Monday night, early Tuesday morning. Somewhere around there, the podcast will drop. The Halloween special has nothing to do with the podcast when that comes up. So that's going to be somewhere we're shooting for about a half hour. We'll see. We're talkative motherfuckers, but <laughs> we'll see what happens. Um, and it's going to be a video. It's going to be produced like nothing before. Um, we're only going to do Facebook live things when it's like actual events now is what we decided. Like make it something special. So it's not going to be like what we did before where we just did the show and threw up stills or whatever. Like this is going to be actually produce thing and uh one of the segments we're gonna do on the show is we're gonna talk about so brandon's gonna give me two really good horror movies that i need to watch and two awful horror not so bad they're good like awful horror <laughs> movies 
And then I'm going to give him two good horror movies and two really awful horror movies, and we're going to talk about them. So that's going to be one segment for sure. There will be at least two segments most likely in, in this, maybe three. We'll see how we're doing for time. But uh, I, I announced to Brandon that The Hills Have Eyes, the original, is going to be one of his assignments to watch. So you guys can can follow along if you want and watch, like, you know, like if you want to watch these movies to to gear up for the Halloween special and be part of the conversation, check it out. I'm talking the Wes Craven joint, not the remake. Um, and then I was just thinking, have you seen the Babadook? I have not seen the Babadook. It's been on my queue, but it just haven't had the Consider chance. Consider that the other good horror movie you're gonna have to watch. Okay, so nice. Babadook and The Hills Have Eyes. That's your assignment. I will let you know the piss poor awful ones next week for sure. <laughs> Because I've got a couple ideas in my head, but I'm trying to come up with the most wretched ones to make you watch. <sighs> Do, did you have any ideas for me yet? Not yet. Not yet. Okay. We're going to try and hash these out <sighs> by next week. So we'll give you the listener times to watch watch these movies if you want. But our Halloween special, it's going to be a half hour long. Hopefully, once again. Uh, it's going to premiere at on Halloween, right at midnight on the East Coast, 11 o'clock Central Time, 10 o'clock Mountain Time, 9 o'clock Pacific Time. So you can find us on Facebook that way. Just like the Not Safer Network page and you can find it. Uh, if you, for some reason you're going to insist on not liking the Not Safer <laughs> Network page, the only other way you can find us, unless you're friends with one of us on Facebook, is uh, there's like this map that they have on Facebook where you can sort of hover the mouse over it and you can see everybody broadcasting. I seriously, seriously, yeah. And I seriously doubt anybody else in Helena will be doing Facebook live. And it's also not very likely that anybody else in Montana will be doing Facebook (laughs) live because every time I've ever looked, I've never seen a single person broadcasting from this is the first time I've heard of this feature. See, I was using this feature before we were actually recording Facebook Live, so because I was kind of checking it out, and I, even our shitty first broadcast, it was like a hundred times better than anything that I saw on there. The only stuff that's produced on there, for the most part, that I've seen is like there's a couple of cities that broadcast out Fox News Live on the thing. <sighs> so if you count that. Count that if you want to have supper and watch Fox News on Some Facebook. Supper and watch Fox News. <laughs> That's right. You could do it that way. But uh yeah. But dude, this is gonna be great. It's it's gonna be so much fun. We're gonna like film some things and uh that aren't just us talking on the couch. It's gonna be great. I can't wait. I'm so excited. Make Montucky Skies great again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So that'll be, uh, should we call that, is that the Montucky Skies Halloween special or should we call it the Not Safe for Network Halloween special? We'll announce it officially next week. We'll give it an official title next week, yeah. We should probably ask if anybody else wants a hand in it too. (laughs) (laughs) That's kind of what I was thinking. (laughs) Yeah. But hey, anybody from Not Safe for Network, if you want in on this, just uh, let me know. You know how to get a hold of me, I hope. Boy, that's a very specific message I'm throwing out to the podcast. There's like five, six people that's directly targeted towards 
<laughs> so you brought up Rafi earlier. Yeah, yeah. Jason and that, Manzukis. Yeah, and that made me think of the great guy Taco and the EBDB. <laughs> the EBDB. <laughs> the Eskimo, Eskimo Brothers, Brothers database. That's right. <laughs> And Didn't they like get more complicated with that name as it went on too? <laughs> well, it, it became the EBDB B and B. That's right. <laughs> and breakfast, the most disgusting bed and breakfast that ever was. Yeah. Um, and I found a interesting thread the other day. It's uh celebrity Eskimo brothers. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and just to get it out as gross as I can. John F. Kennedy and Robert F. Kennedy. <laughs> We're going to do people that are Eskimo brothers with Donald Trump. Oh. <laughs> Hold on. Let me think about this. Who's been with Marla Maples? I don't know. Who's been with Ivanka? I don't know. Okay. I got nothing. All right. There's three people on this that are like, what the fuck? Really? Dave Navarro. <laughs> That's not surprising. What hooked up with uh, Stormy Daniels and uh, was rumored to hook up with DT. And they're both reality show stars, so there you go. Uh, Sean Puffy Combs. What? <laughs> Puffy slumming it. Because <laughs> he hooked up with Claudia Jordan, who also hooked up with DT. Do you think? That Sean Puffy Combs has as much musical talent as his Eskimo brother. <laughs> and West Side. <laughs> Throwing shade. <laughs> well, it's, uh, I, think, I think it'll be okay because this isn't the Image Awards or anything. <laughs> and the last one I got in here is uh, Kevin Hart. He's also called Eskimo Brothers. Weird. That's just weird. And so, because both Sean and Kevin Hart hooked up with uh, Claudia Jordan, Kevin Hart and Sean Combs are Eskimo brothers. That's not as weird. I could see that. The Eskimo brothers with Donald Donald Trump is gross. Yeah. And so, the next one, like, we're going to do, I like got like three necks I. Another nexus is uh, Leonardo DiCaprio. Okay. Oh, dude, he slept around, so there's got to be lots. Jeremy Piven, is he an Eskimo brother of Leo? He's not on this chart, so I don't know. They hung out in the same group. like They were sort of an infamous group that would go around Hollywood and sleep with everybody. So So Leonardo DiCaprio is definitely Eskimo brothers with uh, Ryan Reynolds. (laughs) <laughs> Orlando Bloom okay and Tom Brady wow so Leo, Leo has a type for Eskimo brothers <laughs> <laughs> uh, let's see what's the last one we got here oh we got the Kardashian tree oh my god <laughs> So that may I I can come up with one on my own. <laughs> so that's that means that like Reggie Bush is Eskimo brothers with Chris Humphreys. Yes. Yeah, weird. <laughs> the game is uh 
Eskimo Brothers with Kanye. Yeah, yeah. Kanye's Eskimo Brothers with Chris Humphreys. <laughs> and A James Harden. People, a lot of people are Eskimo Brothers when it comes to <laughs> Kim Kardashian. <laughs> yeah, it's... Yeah. Yeah, French Montana is in that tree. I don't know who that is. Uh, James Harden's in that tree. Which... Cause James, he, who did James Harden sleep with? Amber Rose. Who's Amber Rose? Uh, it's some black gal. I, You know I don't know who that is. Yeah, I don't know who that is either. I don't watch the Kardashians. <laughs> I just judge my family for watching <laughs> But I just thought I'd get really gross with it with Donald Trump Eskimo Brothers. Can and I'm I, sure there's a lot more. Can I say, share some information with the viewers but not get specific? Guess who else is Eskimo Brothers right here in this <laughs> room? <laughs> you know it's true. <laughs> <laughs> Friends wasn't enough. I had to make us Eskimo Brothers, dude. <laughs> <laughs> well, shifting gears here. Uh, so... Tom Petty passed last night, um, age of 66, yeah. had a heart attack, it sounds like. Yeah, he had a heart attack. He was uh, unresponsive. They took him to the Santa Cruz Medical or University Medical Center, and they uh, ran tests on him, and he was pretty much brain dead, and they pulled the plug on him. Yeah, that's good. You don't want him sitting in a coma forever if it's... Yeah. That's... It's a real bummer because he was a hero of mine for a long time. Um, I got to see him in concert twice, which... Nice. He was exactly what you would want to see with Tom Petty. Just like real high energy and just had a smile on his face the whole time. The first time we went and saw him in the gorge, both times was with the Heartbreakers, but... um. He, uh, we saw him at the gorge the first time and he just fucking killed it. And we were way in the back. I remember it was one of the first concerts I went to when I moved to Olympia and my buddy Evan, who played guitar in my band there, uh, he, he went walking and he said the moment he realized I was a dude I wanted to hang out or that he wanted to hang out with was I was getting ready for the Tom Petty show. It, which consisted of me rolling 10 joints and then slipping them into this, like, I had one of those Magnum uh, permanent markers. <laughs> and I had ta- I learned this trick from my, my friend Jared, but I took out the felt thing, so it was just, like, on the end, so it looked like a marker that would work for a few minutes probably and then crap out because it didn't have the rest of it, you know? And then just filled it in the back of it and topped it. Like put the cap back on and uh, what was really funny about it was I didn't have to go to any of that work because we went to the gorge and they literally just put their hands down my sides like looking for a gun or whatever and they're like going <laughs> like that. They didn't give a shit what we brought into the show as long as it wasn't a weapon. So uh, there was a lot of weed. <laughs> I'll bet. A lot. Both times I went to go see him. And that was an outdoor venue and he just fucking killed it. It was so great. And it sounded amazing. And then I really owe Heather Harlow credit for this because I was dating her at the time. And when we went to go see him the second time, I don't remember the name of the arena, 
somebody had figured it out for me who used to live in Washington, but I already forgot. But it was on a on a uh, reservation, and it had like this amphitheater that was outdoors, and she had gone to buy the tickets. And I mean, I was I was paying for mine; she was paying for hers. But she was like spraying in for both of them to buy it, and she didn't tell me that she bought tickets in the second row and she didn't tell me cause she knew I'd get mad, but she was absolutely right. Like I was trying to conserve every penny at the time, but it was so worth it, man. I could literally see the band members sweat when we we're on there. And so I was, you know, probably like 10 feet away from Tom Petty, a good chunk of the concert. We were like dead center in the second row. It was fucking perfect. Nice. And what made it even cooler was, it was his quote unquote retirement tour. Like he had just announced that he was going to retire before he started that tour. But what he didn't mention was that that tour would then go on for like 11, 12 years. (laughs) (laughs) But, uh, so we got, we got to see him and, uh, it was really, really close, but as a surprise, because it was his retirement tour, they brought Stevie Nicks on and she did, she came on halfway through his set and played like half the songs with him and sang backup and then, you know, sang the lead on Stop Dragging My Heart Around. Cause as we talked about when I was reviewing the Defiant ones, that was actually a Tom Petty song that he wasn't going to use. And so, um, Jimmy Iowine convinced Tom Petty to let Stevie Nicks do the song and then have him sing with her. And so, What's really funny about it was hearing how annoyed he was at the time because they released the single at the same time as, as a Heartbreaker single. So, you know, I get that. But clearly, like, him and Stevie Nicks were friends. And he introduced her as the stage as, like, the, as an honorary Heartbreaker. <laughs> <laughs> and so she came on and sang backup, sang lead on Stop Dragging My Heart Around and, like, played tambourine through the thing. And I thought that was super cool. And then they also brought on for... They closed out with American Girl. They brought Trey Anastasio from Fish was opening the show. And they were a lot of fun, too. But he came on and played keys for American Girl. They had Stevie Nicks singing with him. And then they also brought on Eddie Vedder from Pearl Jam for the very last song. And he fucking forgot the words to American Girl. (laughs) He was supposed to sing, like, the first set and then with the choruses or the first set of verses. And... He could not remember the the words. He was like, she was an American girl. And then he just like lost it and couldn't remember the rest of the words. And he was like, fuck. And couldn't remember. And then so they go through it a second time. They come back to it, like go through it again. And he's like, fuck, I can't remember. And so Tom Petty just kicks in and like laughs and just kicks in and like sings the rest of it. And (laughs) Eddie Vedder sang the choruses with him. But it was really incredible. And Tom Petty for me, the heartbreakers were ever present in my life. You know, yeah. As long as I've lived, I, there's been heartbreaker songs on the radio, and when I it, when I when I hit high school, I remember, and I even saw it not that long ago. I was looking at an old nugget, like our old high school um, newspaper, and I, our friend Bill Matras had like done a review of wildflowers which was tom petty's second solo album 
And to me, that's his best album. Like people will, some people say it's Full Moon Fever, which was his first solo album, had a lot of hits on it, like uh, Free Falling was like the really huge song off of that. And some people would say, and I agree for when you talk a Heartbreakers album, I think Damn the Torpedoes is the best one. Like that, every song on that could be a hit. But Wildflowers is just like, once again, every song on it could be a hit, but it's a different tone for Tom Petty. It's all very low-key and very mellow. But I just fucking love that album. And You Don't Know How It Feels is the song more than anything that just resonates with me all the time. It just, like, that song just reminds me so much of being younger and exactly how I felt. But every song on that fucking album was solid. Like, Wildflowers was good. Honeybee. Honeybee was like a song that could have been a huge hit. If he hadn't already had It's Good to Be King on there and <laughs> and uh, you don't know how it feels, like Honeybee could have been a huge hit. It's just like, it's this great song. It's just so fucking rocking. And uh, You Wreck Me sounds like a hit. I always forget that You Wreck Me Baby is not a hit. Like it was never a single because it's another song that just like you could you could imagine it's being played on the radio all the time but Tom Petty is just incredible and he really shaped what like that album shaped how I wanted to play piano and I didn't think of it consciously but later as I got older and then listen to that album as I was playing I realized that's how I play like I like to play these these notes that are like kind of simple but like have space in between them and just sort of hit emotion with every little note you know they're not just like playing what everybody else is playing it's like there's like a real heart to the keys on that and it's just it's a great album and he had a lot of the traveling willberries kind of pop off onto it and uh he had a bunch of the heartbreakers playing with them but I can go on and on about Tom Petty. Uh, what was your favorite album? Did you have a favorite, or were you just like a greatest hits guy? Or see, I I knew most of the hits, and then like the couple things I wanted to share. Uh, one was like my favorite memory of Tom Petty is when I was dating somebody in high school who was part of the LDS church. Oh, so this was not the Eskimo, but I was about to go Eskimo brothers, but no, (laughs) no. (laughs) And no Mormons on this belt. No, (laughs) (laughs) I don't think. (laughs) Um, no, I got to take that back. I got to take that back. Heather Harlow. (laughs) Anyway. Um, and we ended up going to a dance in high school at the LDS church and whoever was the kid that was doing the DJ like really liked Tom Petty and that was back when like Free Fallen came out and yeah when we're in high school that came out around the time of Jerry Maguire right that sounds about right because they have the part where he's like flipping the radio and he's like he lands that deal and he's really excited like Tom Cruise is and he's like hits a song and it's not quite right and hits another song it's not quite right and then he hits free falling and he starts like rocking <laughs> out to it in the car. It was so funny because it was just playing off of that trope of like you turn on the radio and you're like rocking out to the song. And But it was really funny because uh, I remember he played two songs 
And the first one was uh, last Mary Jane's Last Dance. Great song. A lot of people's favorite song, for sure. Yeah. And then uh, I think it's You Don't Know How It Feels, but the part where he goes, uh, let's get to the point. Let's, let's roll, roll another joint. <laughs> Turn the radio loud. I'm too, too long to be proud. You don't know how it feels. Yeah. I know you guys wanted to hear us sing. <laughs> and he, like, they basically, the people that were running the dance were like, this guy's off the, off the DJ equipment because he's, like, playing drug <laughs> reference songs. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And I just remember like laughing so hard at that. Yeah. I so some other things that should be mentioned about Tom Petty. Traveling Wilburys. Traveling Wilburys. Can't gloss over that. That <sighs> for my money was the best super band that ever existed. So great. And I, I've been like since Tom Petty had his heart attack, I've been like on a huge traveling Wilburys kick. Um and it's sad to think that half the band is dead now it, there's only two living members three I read today i read today it was two it's bob dylan and uh uh the other one jeff linney are, yeah. are the the two ones the other one is the uh the the drummer oh well he wasn't part of the super band he was just in it <laughs> <sighs> until like he's not a name you know right but he is played with everybody okay so he is a legend he's he is a legend it's jim keltner okay and i mean he's played with bob dylan who is one of the wilburys yeah i should also be say really quick uh george harrison from the beatles was one of the traveling wilburys he was the one that got put together because if you like the traveling wilburys you need to listen to um all things must pass it's like I would put it on par with any Beatles album. In fact, I would I prefer it to any Beatles album. And I know that's sacrilege to some people, but that's an amazing album. And just about everybody who's on the Traveling Willowberries plays at some point on All Things Must Pass. And yeah. that's sort of the genesis of the Traveling Willowberries. And then you had Roy Orbison was a Traveling Willowberry, Bob Dylan. It's a fucking amazing band. George Harrison. I, I'd started with him. Oh, I, I didn't. <laughs> I was oh, talking about all things must pass. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, James Kettner, um, people he played with, uh, uh, Little Village, Eric Clapton, Joe Cocker, um, Bob Dylan, Carly Simon, Ringo Starr, uh, George Harrison, Steve Miller Band, like, and it, I mean, there is, and those are the ones that he's like got credit for, but he's played with a lot more. Okay, I just want to be a hundred percent sure here. What's the name of that drummer? Uh, James Keltner. James, how do you spell Keltner? K e l t n e r. Is James Keltner dead? No. I'm looking it up. My phone's taking its sweet time. I'm on his Wikipedia page right now, so I just saw it too. <laughs> oh, oh, following. Yeah, sorry, dude. He died in 2012. 
I'm looking at it right now for his grave memorial, 1945 to 2012. I also died at 66. Because I don't know if you're looking at the same guy. Because he was born in 42 and he's 75 and still active. Huh, maybe that's a different James Keltner. Are you looking <laughs> up James Lee Keltner? It says James H. Jim Keltner. <laughs> that's the different. But then, like, Rolling Stone picks Jim Keltner is one of the all-time greatest drummers, so... All right, well, let's look at his Wikipedia page. Uh, I just I just want to be thorough <laughs> on this because the New York Times said, but, yeah, this isn't showing him as dead on his Wikipedia page. So, yeah, 1970 to present. We'll trust Wikipedia yeah. on that. Shame on you, New York Times. But, uh... So if if you're not familiar with the Traveling Wilburys, they had two songs that you probably heard if you listen to classic rock radio at all, which is you had a Well it's alright. Right. <laughs> well it's alright. <laughs> something something end of the line. <laughs> end of the line, right? Yeah. What was the other one? They had another big hit uh, off that album. Um See, my favorite is always Tweeter and the Monkey Man. <laughs> it's such a weird title. <laughs> that whole album is solid. I had the extended one that had alternate cuts that they never used and, and some songs. Oh, Handle With used. Care is the Yeah, other. Handle Me With Care. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's a great song, too. <sighs> um, and the then, vocals that uh, Roy Orbison put on that track are fucking awesome. But the story I really want to tell... Um, because this, I think, tells you a lot about Tom Petty. Um, so a lot of musicians, when they hit it big, they will often alienate themselves from, you know, old bandmates or things like that. Like that stuff happens. And so Tom Petty, when he got his first record deal, was with this band called Mud Crutch. And I've heard since, like years later, I heard... a. Um, like a bootleg recording of Mud Crutch. It sounded like it was in a bar or something. And they did like a lot of rock covers and stuff. It was almost like a bar band from the version I heard. I don't know what they wound up as when they had a record contract, but I don't think they even put out an album back then. And uh, the record company lost faith in them, but they really believed in Tom Petty. So they signed Tom Petty. And they wanted to bring him a solo, but he wanted to, he wanted a band, like he wanted consistency. And so he put the Heartbreaker together as session musicians, but he said he would only take the record contract if he could keep Mike Campbell, who is his guitarist in uh, Mud Crutch for the Heartbreakers. So he was a guitarist for the Heartbreakers. Um, he also played on all the solo albums. Like he basically played everything with Tom Petty except for with the Traveling Wilburys. And this is like his best friend, okay? So he brings him along for a ride. Now, this is where you find out that Tom Petty is truly a great guy. So after he does that retirement tour, he announces that, I I always felt there's unfinished business with my old band, Mud Crutch, and I think I've gotten to the point where I can force the studio to do what I want. So he brings back in Mud Crutch, and they record an album. And it's a hit. Like I'm trying to remember the song it was like the grove or something i can't remember what it was but it was a really good song and 
they had gone a different direction from how they used to sound. Like it was almost, it wasn't, it wasn't quite um, bluegrass, but it wasn't far from it. And the whole album was just sort of like bluegrassy. And it's a great fucking album, but cheers to him, dude. Like all those years later, he could have, he didn't have to do that. You know what I mean? He didn't have to do any of that. And, you know, 25 years later, he goes back to the original band he was in and he gets him a record contract and gets him to go tour like a major world tour and things like that. Like, that's awesome. That's what a great guy he was in that respect. Um, I just, I have mad respect for Tom Petty. Like, that yeah. guy was the shit. And just such an amazing songwriter. Had a really unique sounding voice, but could totally make it work. You know, like you hear him on some songs and he's not like a great singer, but he always makes it work for every song. And every song he's saying, I don't want to hear anybody else sing that song. But I think that the biggest tribute you can give to him is in a time when like, when you're talking about the country being so divided, like Tom Petty is a guy who like crosses all those lines. Yeah. Like, Pretty much everybody I know likes Tom Petty to some degree, you know? Yeah. And everybody in the South fucking loves Tom Petty. Like, he has bridged that gap. Like, it doesn't matter if you're Republican, Democrat, North, South, East, West, like, whatever. Like, Tom Petty is the fucking bridge that brings everybody together. And we've had some other greats die recently, but they weren't able to do that, you know? Like that, that is a Tom Petty thing. He was able to take this like somewhat Southern style, but like be a rocker too. It's just, it's fucking crazy when you really think about what he did with his music. Yeah. And I mean, he got into some like new age sort of stuff like, um, and that's don't come around here no more. Or, uh, what was the one I was listening to? Uh, You, what is it? We're talking new age stuff. It, well, it was uh, the like the new wave sort of early eighties stuff. Okay. Um, you got lucky. Oh yeah, you got lucky, babe. Because it was real synth synth heavy. Yeah, yeah. No, he definitely went through a phase with that with the heartbreakers for sure, but. Like all of that stuff just And then works. like some of his later stuff is real heavy uh um blues. Yeah, he definitely mellowed. I would say the the real departure point was Wildflowers. Like when you hit Wildflowers it seemed like he was way more interested in like going back to the roots and not doing harder stuff. Um he had another album too when we went to go see him the second time when Stevie Nicks and, and Eddie Vedder and Trey Anastasio were there with them um he was supporting this solo album called highway compendium that's a fucking great album oh that's too. a great album yeah it had this um i think like what was it square root or root one or something like he he had like two the first two tracks on it were hits and they're really great songs and then there's like a lot of super solid songs and that's the only tom petty album i really heard that i didn't like was southern accents but even that had moments to it. You know, I think it was just like a, a frustrating time for the heartbreakers for whatever reason. They were just having a hard time. 
I guess he like punched a wall in the sessions for it too. It was like a 87 album or something, but he really wasn't happy with what was happening and, and it kind of shows on the album a bit, but everything else is fucking solid. Like I used to have a Tom Petty box set and then I wound up giving it to Heather since she got me those tickets and I was so appreciative after I saw the show. <laughs> it's one of those things where you just like realize you're fucking wrong, you know, <laughs> Like, I will be talking about that to the day I die. Like, that Tom Petty show was fucking incredible. And I'm so happy to have seen him up close and just seen him do his thing so close. And I got to see him twice. There's a lot of people that never got to see him. I never got to see him live. That's what makes me sad, too, is um, my stepkid's dad was a big Tom Petty fan. I guess he just played the greatest hits on constant loop around him. And so they just associated him with, like, with their stepdad but i was always like no tom petty's great like everybody loves tom petty it's like let me introduce you to all this stuff that's like not the greatest hits you know because his other songs are fucking great too and uh it makes me sad because i'd always had an idea that at some point he was gonna tour somewhere near here and i was gonna take the whole family to tom yeah now i'll never get that chance but at least i got to see him twice like twice that's really fucking good so yeah he uh Played in Bozeman in 2003, and uh, old me is regretting it, but I know, like, at the time when he was there, I was, like, dead broke, because, oh. like, kids were really young. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You can't do anything when you have little kids like that, and plus, if you took them to a concert, like, it would be way too loud for them. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, it's Yeah, just, I mean, it was just, it wasn't happening, so well we had taken a brief break before we talked about tom petty because we thought we were going to get really depressing with this but i was smiling through most of this like that's the thing about tom petty is he just like his music is incredible and i can't help but enjoy it and so just talking about his music yeah like light me up even though he just passed so i hope that like i it seems like I, i read some of the stuff his daughters wrote and his daughter seems to have a really good handle on who he was in terms of not just personally, but like to America, you know, like what he means to the whole fabric of like society. And he really is one of those key important musicians. And, uh, I just hope they take solace in the fact that like, we all love Tom Petty and, you know, like that's, that's not going away. We're not going to hear Tom Petty less. No, not not in our lifetime, dude. <laughs> like those songs, so many of those songs are just so so timeless. And even though sometimes they're rooted in a time, it still works. Like you think you're gonna take her away <laughs> with your money and your cocaine? Like that's <laughs> doesn't matter, dude. You totally get the gist of what he's saying there. Even though cocaine's not as big of a thing as it used to be, like you know he wrote that in the '80s, <laughs> but it still works. Uh. <laughs> yeah i uh god i went down such a crazy rabbit hole on youtube because i don't like i have uh a couple of the cds but i never really owned anything because it was always on the radio i mean i didn't feel the need to buy it because it was always there um but i, I mean i i did have a couple of his albums i didn't have anything on vinyl 
Um, I, I apparently found out he was dying about, I want to say like 15 minutes after they announced it. Or like I, I found out he had died 15 minutes after they announced it last night. And I just immediately went out and listened to, I have Spotify, but I have all these albums anyway. So I immediately went out, listened to the whole thing of Wildflowers. Um, I listened to the whole album for Damn the Torpedoes. I listened to a couple tracks off of Traveling Wilburys. And then I listened to the whole greatest hits. Like I just went down the Tom Petty yeah. rabbit hole and that continued into today too. Yeah. So. And it, uh, the, the w- interesting point I got was they did a, uh, a tribute show for George Harrison, George Harrison when he passed mm-hmm. and, uh, they had a, the, there was three people on, Oh, there was four, but I can't remember. The three big ones was Tom Petty, Steve Winwood, and uh, Prince. So you have, were you all, have like all sort pl- of a Southern Fried Rock, Yacht Rock, and uh, R&B. That's pretty Mot- good. Like, yeah, and then. <laughs> not they, Motown. Prince is well, not Motown. They, uh, but they uh, played together on uh, While My Guitar Gently Weeps. And it was just amazing. I mean, if you get a chance, get on YouTube and check that out. I mean, it's like a six or seven minute uh, clip on there, and it's fucking amazing. Because all those guys can play guitar. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna end this with uh, my favorite Tom Petty song, which we already talked about. You don't know how it feels because I just I don't know. It, it just. That that is a song I went to immediately when I found out he died. So I think there's some power in it. So take it easy. Let me run with you tonight. I'll take you. Somewhere I gotta go And you don't know how it 
on your phone. Put them in your ears. Not safe for network. With the not safe for network, the entertainment's ringing through your brain. Collect them all or trade them with your friends. Not safe for network. Real roulette. Maybe you're a film student. I'm picturing you with a beret. We had a good life. Well, Strap, it's a bit of the gift and the curse. That's debatable. It'd be nice if they showed a little accountability. The Alien Movie Project. It's just another clear-cut case of American exceptionalism. Montucky Skies. I'm spoiling the shit out of this in three, two, one. Bigs on film. We're watching this on Netflix because I'm three beers in and lost the Blu-ray. Listen to all the archives in a row and they form a mega podcast so long that your significant other will be drawing up divorce papers. Not safe for network. 